Hi everybody and welcome to this episode of Pup in a Cup. Today we are enjoying a nice refreshing Dr. Pepper. Um, I am Janelle. I'm the director, the rescue director of Redstone Husky Rescue and I have Steven here who's the administrative director of Same Rescue and today we're going to be talking about the foundations of redstone the core values the ethics the principles how we function all of that nitty-gritty kind of stuff of what makes us unique and what makes us us so one of the things that we that makes us a little bit different from rescues is a little bit of a different view of how we approach each dog and how we make these decisions of what we what will pull from a rescue or owner surrender etc and also our morals and ethics that we use whenever we're approaching rescue now uh, both me and Janelle have extensive experience in volunteering for nonprofits it's something that we have a very strong passion for. And in our time with volunteering with nonprofits, we were able to see both what works, what doesn't work, and also whenever things go wrong. Um, and also what we didn't want to be part of and what we didn't want to do. Exactly. So whenever we formed Redstone Husky Rescue, we decided to do it under a very strict sense of principles, that we were going to do this right and make sure that it stood up to the ethics and morals that we believed in. Now, one of the ways that we decided to do this is through the principle of quality over quantity. Now, do you want to talk a little bit more about that principle? Yeah, so uh, there are rescues out there that are more quantity focused, save as many lives as possible, move as many lives as possible, um, take in everything that you possibly can, um, better or worse. And there's, that's it, not necessarily wrong, um, but there could certainly be some questionable quality there for the care of those dogs and where do they end up and... Do they have the same support and structure that we have built here? So we're very much more focused on the quality of care that we provide rather than the quantity of care. Um, and that we started pretty small. We started with, I'll say we started with three dogs because we yeah. had three for quite a while and then it turned into four, which turned into four five which turned into more and more which turned into you know this what we have now um <laughs> but we started rather small in that you know we had cooper who i caught on campus and was just like well i guess we're doing this thing um and then i volunteered to take a dog from four and a half hours away uh that was living in a baseball field and then we wound up with our first transport experience of getting a dog in mm -hmm. because i was shown a picture of this husky living in a crate so small she couldn't even stand and uh it was these things that i was like well we can still with this number living in our house provide quality care the dogs can go out together they can you know if their personalities mesh they can integrate into our personal pack 
Um, we can keep them isolated for a certain amount of time to make sure they don't have anything that they can get or give from other dogs, all these sorts of things. Um, and so it wasn't necessarily a mad dash to fill as many spaces in our house with dogs as possible, though I think sometimes Steven feels that way. And every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guy that went down to Harris County for one dog and came back with three. Yeah, um, it happens. It does happen. And those are things that we take in stride while still keeping in mind, can we still provide the care that this dog is going to require? And so I don't ever want to have a dog that comes into rescue that cannot get immediate medical care. Um, I don't ever want to have a dog that comes into rescue that it's like, okay, but we don't have the funds to do this now and we'll fundraise for it over time. I don't want to carry a balance at our veterinary clinic. And that's something they extremely appreciate about us is that we make sure to settle up at every single visit and, you know, do the best we can to not overreach and overextend our resources so that way we can make sure we're giving every single dog the best possible chance and do things responsibly now there is another side kind of a darker side to how this can go wrong and there is the condition known as hoarding Mm -hmm. now a lot of people have seen this on TV shows such as Hoarders and et cetera. And they think that this is just items. Well, all too often this happens to dogs as well. And this can even be, this can even happen to rescues Mm -hmm. whenever they overextend and they overdo it and they get too many dogs and suddenly they're in a hole. They don't know what to do. They can't move them, they can't get them homes, and they're panicking. And this is, it's a serious problem. And a lot of times other rescues and shelters have to step in to basically save those dogs where they could have in reality been able to save different dogs if the rescue would have actually done things the right way. And I could do a a whole episode on the different types of hoarders and the condition of animal hoarding, what goes into it. It is a true mental illness. It is something that can be managed, that you can get people help for. There's actually only one classification of an animal hoarder that should be prosecuted by law um, because those are the ones that are doing this for malicious reasons and that are really out to cause more harm than they are to help but the other classifications of hoarders are backed into corners and they they do not mentally understand the gravity of what's going on in most cases but there are several rescues out there that are masquerading as rescues that they are actually hoarders with a nonprofit status now a nonprofit doesn't mean that they're getting checked up on as far as how they function. Are they providing medical care? Are they um, paying their bills? Are they providing clean food and water and adequate shelter? Things like that. Nonprofit is literally just a tax status. Mm -hmm. Being a nonprofit rescue does not mean that you are a good rescue. Yes. And and that's that's something that I think a lot of people have this misconception for. I have encountered several rescues that I strongly question what's going on 
behind that veiled social media curtain there's a different story of what's being portrayed on social media as to what's actually happening behind closed doors. Some of the cases I've seen as a veterinary technician make me wonder what's really going on. Why are these animals in this condition? Why did it get this bad before they came in? So there's, there's good and bad, and that's kind of a darker side of animal welfare, veterinary medicine, and the rescue world altogether. And that's really why we have that strong principle of quality over quantity. Anytime we're going to take a dog from a shelter or take in an owner surrender, we take actually a board vote. And in that board vote, we discuss, all right, where are we at with finances? What is the possible expense that this dog could be bringing in? What veterinary care does this dog need? What specialized care does this dog need? What sort of kennel space do we have? What are the ex- what are the manpower hours that we actually have to be able to put into this dog? So it's it's a long drawn out process to make sure that we do this responsibly and we do this right. And that's a strong principle we stand on is that we will never pull a dog into a worse situation than they were in. We always want to make sure that we are providing them a higher level of care. And there's something called caring capacity, which we we talk about in shelter medicine, but also in rescue-focused environments, is that, yes, you may physically have the space to put that dog, but do you have the caring capacity reserved? So what care you can offer that individual animal in order to do them justice, in order to treat them humanely, which if you have six medical cases and they're all living with, you know, say they're living here with us, while we may have three open kennels, that doesn't mean we can put three dogs in there because some of those medical cases may be ones that are requiring us to carry them outside or that are requiring a lot of one-on-one time or behavioral modifications and so that caring that an individual animal's caring capacity may take up four spaces so while we may have empty kennels or things like that because we are the ones the primary caregivers we have to take that into consideration and where you get into a sticky situation is when you stop focusing on that caring capacity and it's becomes a well i have open space i need to fill it exactly and that's something that we encounter with people on social media or etc they're like oh you had an adoption that means you have a free space which while a lot of times that can be true because we do structure our adoptions so that a dog going out into a home opens up space and finances for a dog to come in we are not always we are very transparent as a rescue we are very open if people ask us questions we're happy to answer them those sorts of things but we're not always um johnny on the spot as far as releasing the information as it comes in because we need to see how a case is going to play out before we get people that follow us and support us emotionally invested Mm -hmm. um there have been cases that uh we took in that we weren't sure if it was going to go one way or another and before we really released it on social media we kind of got a feel for what might be happening so that we could appropriately set up expectations 
Um, there was also a dog that we took into care that we did not ever announce. And it was because of the very, very sensitive nature of the situation he was in, the foster care situation he went into, and then the permanent home that he does now have. And it was a very long drawn out. It was the topic of several board meetings and we just never really went into his whole case start to finish. Yeah, and that was that was an instance in which it was better to, for the health of the animal and for its own safety that we ended up keeping that to ourselves, essentially. But the home he now has is just fantastic, and he's gotten to be able to get out of a really horrible situation and into some really great care, and he is just the happiest boy. Um, one of the things that really did help um, in his case, because he was a fairly strong abuse case, was that we work as a what's called a fear-free rescue. Now, fear-free rescue is essentially the management of anxiety and what's known as FAS. Do you want to talk a little bit about FAS? Yeah, so Fear Free is actually, um, I call it a homegrown uh, organization. It started in Denver, Colorado. Um, we It was initially designed for in a veterinary clinical setting where you have three levels of Fear Free certification. It's all about counter conditioning and teaching dogs and cats that it is okay to come into the veterinary clinic and to feel safe there and then how we handle them and how we approach cases of dogs that are either um, fear aggressive or just downright terrified. Um, and so over the years, this grew and grew and grew and it's now you can get fear free certified in avian handling, equine. Um, I know that herd management is coming. coming. I believe that um, reptiles and amphibians is coming and that down the line there will be pocket pets. A subset chapter of this is fear-free shelters and they started this so that they could work with shelter environments to say okay a lot of your dogs are emotionally shut down a lot of them have severe kennel anxiety they're going they're running back and forth they're chewing on their kennel bars what can we do to help train your staff so that we can manage these things appropriately and one of the tools that they use is it's called the FAS scale, the fear, anxiety, and stress scale. And you rate them on a one to five and, or a zero to five. A zero is like happy-go-lucky. You could cut my arm off and I would just be sitting there trying to ask for cookies <laughs> and I'm so happy. And then a five is an extremely fear aggressive, will bite your face off kind of dog or cat. Mm -hmm. um, I happened to adopt an FAS level five cat in my life and she's a holy terror and she just gets to do her own thing and we are just graced to live in her presence um but that's cats for you uh and so this whole fear-free shelter graduate system it goes through intake medical um kennel and is there one other intake medical kennel I, think I believe intakes, in enrichment as enrichment well. Enrichment is one as well. Um, but intake and kennel is are the really two big pieces. It's about you have just pulled a dog that's a stray off the street, pulled it out of the animal control truck, and it doesn't know where it is. 
there's dogs that are screaming at it from every angle it sounds like and there's a bunch of people there's a lot of scary smells and they're probably not going to behave the way that they they're not being honest with their personality they're very fearful at that time and fearful dogs will either shut down or they'll redirect and react and so there was all of this now that's strictly shelter environment with us being a rescue we are a home-based rescue we put dogs into foster care or we foster them ourselves and so when we intake something we try to structure it so that these dogs come through us first and so that i can evaluate their personality and what their management needs are going to be um that doesn't always happen sometimes we have fosters go pick up direct from the shelter and we are in constant constant communication with those fosters as far as hey what do you need how are they doing how did they react to this um were you able to introduce them to your other dogs or did they react poorly how are you doing what support do you need it's a constant circle as far as that goes and some of the tools that we really use in those cases, especially as they come first either out of a shelter or um, off the street, is the first one being known as Adaptal. Mm-hmm. Um, Adaptal is a calming pheromone that is uh, chemically related to the pheromone that is emitted by nursing mothers, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And... Um... And it is very, very, very highly backed by science. So I know that it sounds like some new age medicine voodoo magic, but it is heavily backed by science. We visibly see it work with the dogs that it works for. It does not work for every dog. And when it comes to the dogs that it doesn't work for, there are other methods that we use. Um, Calming music has been a godsend in rescue. Um, there are a number of channels on YouTube, Spotify, etc., that you can actually go on to that have 24 hours plus of calming music for dogs. And what we'll do is we will use an adaptal collar or diffuser and then um, provide that calming music through speakers. We actually use Google Home speakers throughout the, throughout the uh, rescue and synced up we can actually play across them and it helps so much reduce that fas scale and that's proven through the fear free model um that is something they've done extensive research on that they've been able to see how well that works another thing we use is known as thunder shirts yeah thunder shirts the concept is like swaddling a baby in that when they have that like nice warm hug feeling and they have that gentle pressure throughout the the trunk of their body they actually do calm down we have um we've used them in a number of cases one is uh her name is rosemary she is a dog that lived on the street for five years and she had multiple litters of puppies on the street she was heartworm positive she has severe storm anxiety like she will shake in her tiny little sausage boots and she is just beside herself if there's even a hint that thunder might be coming and while it is stressful for her to get her thunder shirt on because she does not like to be touched she likes to be left to her own devices um once we have it on suddenly the storm's not so scary excuse you kaylee (laughs) that's much of the sneezels um (laughs) One thing to take into consideration with street dogs, so dogs that have been living on the street for 
any number of days to weeks to months to years is that if you put them in a room and you shut the lights out, they absolutely panic. They have, mm -hmm. if you think about that, they have not been without light at night for all of that time. And they've either had street lights, they've had the moon, they've had house lights, headlights, whatever. If you take them and then it's like, okay, it's time for bed and you shut the lights out, you close the door, they panic. And so we use a lot of floor lamps with soft lighting and uh, that seems to really, really help. So a lot of night lights in our house. Um, I was actually just talking about that with a coworker the other day and she's like, I never would have thought about that aspect of it. And I was like, oh yeah, I have night lights, I have lamps, I have adaptal in every room in my house. I have spa music playing on laptops everywhere, 24 hours a day. And she's like, oh, so it's like a nice little doggy zen sesh. It's like, yeah. Yeah, basically. basically. <laughs> and if all else fails, there are fantastic drugs that can help ease that tension for the, like, once you get them through the first, like, week to two weeks, then they settle into a routine and you can usually wean them off those meds. Yeah, and that's definitely something that if you're experiencing having a dog going through all this, it's definitely something that is either worth trying some of these other methods or talking to your veterinarian about whenever it comes to looking at medication um, but one of the things that people don't really think about whenever they're handling or whenever they are talking about stray dogs coming into rescue is that mental health perspective of a lot of these dogs actually have, just like with Rosemary with the storm anxiety, essentially PTSD. They, they each have their own triggers. I think, um... I, I call them bomb-proof dogs. I think some of the dogs that come up off the street are essentially bomb-proof, and they're just like, I've seen some shit, man. Like, you can't phase me. Um, but then there's other dogs that it's like, oh, you closed a door really hard, and they hit the floor. Um, mm -hmm. There's <laughs> actually uh, the case that we were talking about earlier that we did not um, promote on social media. I sneezed the other day and I'm kind of a violent sneezer um, and he he flattened on the ground and he peed himself a little I felt horrible because like I did not mean to scare you with my sneeze I understand why you're afraid of it most people are mm -hmm. um, but it's little things like that that it's we don't know exactly what they experienced in their lives but we can help to kind of counter condition those triggers over time as long as it's managed appropriately you don't ever want to do what's called flooding which is basically you expose that dog to that panic trigger over and over and over again until they stop reacting because at that time they've emotionally shut down and you can't make any progress well and that method is what is also known in human medicine as exposure therapy and exposure therapy in the same essence has actually been very frowned upon now um, by the medical community and psychiatric community um, because it can actually cause more trauma than it is actually removing any sort of triggers. And so in the same essence as dogs go through these mental health struggles, it's easier to relate them whenever you're thinking about them that humans can go through the same thing too whenever you start tying the two together it makes a lot of sense um the brain is a very unique thing and it's but it's also very similar whenever you think about how the different brains work and how they react to trauma so. i mean we're both 
predators by nature. Mm-hmm. That's that's a one of the things of going through fear-free training for a prey animal like equine. It's a little bit different. You have to think about what's going to spook them versus what would spook a dog. Like a horse may not necessarily be resistant or fearful of being handled or touched whereas a dog in a high stress environment if you go to touch them they're going to have more of a fight response than a flight response Um, and so we can relate to them a little bit more and I find that when I can talk some people through okay but if you've ever experienced something like this that's kind of what your dog is going through I find that I get a, a lot better understanding there. And it's something that I know you have some personal experience in when deal, uh, working with either retired veteran dogs mm-hmm. or um, working police dogs that you've seen in your experience. Yeah, so I've, I, I've had the unique pleasure of having a few patients that were um, retired uh marine war dogs or military war dogs and then i have also had the honor of treating and triaging a few local pd canine units and you have to like really those dogs are designed to cause the most damage with the least amount of effort um and you really have to respect their boundaries and sometimes their boundary is you don't touch me only my handler touches me and that can make working in a veterinary field very difficult but it also gives you a very unique perspective of here's what they really need and what their for their emotional well-being is going to be the most appropriate and some of those dogs do have some pretty significant ptsd Uh, i was working with a dog that had been shot at one point and um there's just times that he would just start screaming and it wasn't necessarily because he was in pain because he was on some of the best pain meds that we had in the hospital um it we honestly felt like he was probably having nightmares and that kind of broke all of us working the floor that night but you know we we can't ask them what they're going through i Mm -hmm. we definitely do see it in rescue care that um if we drop something and a dog hits the floor, it's likely that that dog was either in a home where abuse was taking place or um, they were abused. And that's something that I will never, ever proclaim that all of my dogs that come through my rescue have been abused. Like that is such a cop out for dogs that have been poorly socialized in that I, it's one of those pet peeves of mine when people come into the clinic and they're like, oh, he's a rescue and he was abused. I'm like, I'm sorry, did you actually witness the abuse? Or is this just, (laughs) he was abused by a man. I'm like, no, he just never met men when he was in a critical learning period. Mm -hmm. Um, this dog does not act like a dog that has been physically abused. I have seen those, and I see the difference. It, it would be the same situation as you take a child and you isolate them from, let's say, men in general. Mm-hmm. You take away that entire influence during critical learning periods and then introduce them to a male later on in life. They're not going to understand. What even this is. And... <laughs> people smell different to a dog and the way that we act around those dogs when they're encountering something new will either set them up for success or failure. And I am going to 
break it to you, some of our listeners, that if you have a dog that is highly anxious in hospital, you could very well be the cause of that anxiety. And what I mean by that is not that you don't have the best intentions. It's that you being anxious because you think your dog is anxious, it is like a cascade effect of now we have this giant tidal wave of anxiety between the two of you. And if I take your dog to the treatment area and I tell your dog, you're going to be fine. We're just going to sit here. We're going to talk for a minute. You're going to crawl in my lap in a few minutes because I smell like nice pheromones. All of a sudden, your dog is no longer anxious. And it's because they've been removed from your anxiety. And I see this all the time that I'll have owners that I hear come up to the front desk. Is she okay? Is she bi- is she biting at anyone? Did they get the muzzle on? It's like, I don't even have a muzzle on your dog. I'm not going to need it. Well, and <laughs> something to think about. Have you ever been in a room with a friend or in a work situation which tensions are high and you can feel it in the air? You can just feel how stressed out and anxious everyone is. And doesn't that just raise your anxiety? It's the same situation for these dogs. Especially when we bring a new dog into the rescue's care. When they come into our direct care and we don't have a space to specifically isolate them for that decompression phase we know that there is a high possibility they're going to ramp up every dog that they're housed with. And we have a collective howl at times. Sometimes it's a few times a day that it's like, oh, it's getting to be dinner. We're going to howl. Um, But we know that, okay, we're going to have a high anxiety room. Let's make sure our adaptal diffuser is fresh. Let's uh, make sure that we've got power and a playlist going. Let's make sure that kennels are cleaned so that there's no residual stress smells, Um, change out the trash, all those sorts of things. And that's something we really have to take into consideration is the ambient stress level. So an ambient Mm -hmm. stress level in a shelter is exponentially higher than an ambient stress level in a private rescue type setting. And definitely in a private rescue type setting that is following these fear-free protocols to be able to reduce that stress and that FAS, it definitely gives those dogs a little bit of a higher chance of actually being able to decompress and let go of a lot of those traumas and stresses that they've been through. Um, Talking about how the human aspect can actually affect the anxiety of a dog kind of brings up a good point and it's something that we hold very dear and we actually apply in a lot of the decisions we make in rescue especially when it comes to adoptions and fosters and that is the human animal bond so the human animal bond is exactly what it sounds like it's the bond between a human and a non-human creature um we've obviously focus on that a lot with companion animals it's what I have spent my whole career working with I understand the mindset of dogs and cats more than I would understand the mindset of something like a horse or cattle or Or a person or a person (laughs) I understand people that treat animals well I don't understand most other people if you're a gamer you'll know the term NPC and that's basically how I view the rest of the world Um, (laughs) if you don't know what I'm talking about look it up and you'll have a good laugh Uh, but the human animal bond that I did undergo special certification training I am human animal bond certified uh, and it just really focuses on what's right for both of you what's right for you individually Um, on each side of that bond and then 
how do we make decisions to make the best choice possible in a situation? And there are times that we have had owners looking to surrender that really did not, it wasn't what they wanted to do, but they knew it was what they needed to do. Um, one case was actually a local animal control officer. Her older dog, who is seven or eight years old, was actually um, attacking and hurting her younger dog. And she came to us saying, I, I want him to go to rescue, but I want him to go to the right rescue. We, she had actually offered to put him in rescue care before and then backed out at the last minute. They tried a few things, it wasn't working, and then she came to us because we had built a very good relationship with her at that point. Um, Django stayed with us for a little while, and then we did end up adopting him out. Series of events happened. He wound up coming back to us because of some anxiety that wasn't being well managed. And ultimately, it came down to we made the decision to adopt him back out to her because she took measures in that time that they were apart to address what was really going on with her older dog. And I don't know of another organization that would have made that decision. And it's, it is something that we did not take lightly. We had a very, very long discussion on it and we wanted to be sure that we were making the right decision for everyone involved in that situation and make sure that Django got to the right home where he would get the right care that he needed and also safety and safety and there's a lot to consider whenever you're adopting out a dog to somebody and what we consider going through it is things like well of course there's quality of life for the dog but we are looking at the quality of life for the adopter. We want to make sure that whenever we perform an adoption or bring a dog into a home, we don't actually end up causing quality of life issues for the person involved. A lot of times people can get caught up in the emotion of wanting to save a dog or wanting to um, bring a new dog into their life but they don't necessarily think through the whole situation or there are factors that they haven't noticed we try to step in and help either educate on those topics or be able to work with them to make that balance or if it's just not right then we have to move on to another adopter but that plays into that responsibility of how we look at that human animal bond it's how is that dog going to affect their life just the same as how is how are they going to affect the dog's life and there's positive and negatives that we have to take into consideration we the way that we're structured is that we first you have an application process that you go through we read through some very basic questions um, we have some deal breaker questions that are in there that if they are not answered appropriately or we are given an answer that we ethically do not agree with, then we do not move forward past that point. There's been times where it's like, I don't think they understood the question quite right. Let's, you know, let's approach them and talk to them about it. Um, we then go into an adoption consultation which usually takes about an hour on average. Usually around there, yeah. Sometimes they're longer. Sometimes if it's 
if it's a an easier to handle dog it's a little bit shorter but generally we're looking at about an hour for this adoption consultation and then they go through a meet and greet process if they're local to us um, we do adopt out of state which is a little bit of a, a point of disagreement for some other rescues out there um, but we are in constant contact we do not hide facts about our dogs, period. We will be as honest with you as I would with anyone about any behavior triggers, any struggle points with dogs. Just be like, hey, she's a great dog. She will only pee in her kennel. Yep. I've had some conversations with adopters during consultations where I'll sit there be talking about all the positive points, and then I'll start launching into well, these are the struggles this dog has, and these are the things that you're going to have to work with. And in my mind, I'm going, oh, God, no, they're going to say no. This is like the perfect home for this dog, but they're going to say no because it's too much. But I got to tell them. Well, God, there was uh, Tony. Oh, yeah, Tony. So Tony was a dog that we pulled out of Harris County. He went into foster care, and this person had never fostered before, had never had anything to do with a working breed before. And she was just like, hey, I want to step up. I want to help this save this dog's life. Tony was on borrowed time. He had been there for a long time. They were actually looking at having to make difficult decisions at Harris County at that time for space and capacity. And he was just not, he was not making himself appear as adoptable. He was a very <laughs> difficult dog. And I say this with all the love in my heart, but he was... He was a struggle. He was a struggle and a half and then six more struggles. Um, but Tony lived then came and lived with us because she was just like, hey, I can't get him in his kennel. I don't know how to train him because I just don't have enough assertiveness that he needs. And she recognized those limitations. We we're like, hey, you know what? You gave us some time to find a spot for him. He can come stay with us. We appreciate you stepping up in the moment of need for him. You allowed us to pull him from the shelter, and there was no hard feelings. There's never any hard feelings when a foster says, hey, this isn't the right fit for me. Well, I mean, hands down, we didn't have a place for him whenever she went and got him. So when it comes to it, I consider that her as a foster, she saved his life. Yeah, because she had him for about, what, two weeks? Around there, yeah. And uh, that gave us time to process a, an adoption or two and to find him a, a spot to hang out here where he could hopefully have less stresses and a little bit more one-on-one -on -one training. Um, Boy, was one-on-one -on -one training with him a handful. And he was a young dog, and for some reason, man, he just was not finding somebody that fit for him. Like, we had no applications for him. I was posting videos. I was posting um, bios on him, pictures. I was really trying because I knew that this – Rescue life is not a life to live forever, period. Mm -hmm. Shelter life is not a life to live forever. And while we give our dogs the best care possible and they live as part of our family as much as possible, there are certain personalities that we cannot have out with our pack because that will cause injury and or be life-threatening to other animals in our home. And he was one of those personalities. He was a very strong personality. He is thick-headed and there was just no way it was going to work <laughs> and so he got a lot of time outside he got a lot of time with playmates to try to get his energy out but man this dog was just so difficult and we finally got this application on him was like oh my god this is it this is his golden ticket and as we're in that interview they're like oh we're also really interested in ziggy and i was like no because i have nothing bad to say about ziggy <laughs> i was like oh no this is 
this is it. I'm like, he's got to, he's got to outshine Ziggy of all Which, dogs. Sweet dog. Great off puppy. The walls bonkers. Like, hilarious. But I, I was talking to him about it and I was just like, I know that when I start telling him the honest facts about Tony, it's just going to be like, oh yeah, we think we'll go with Ziggy. I wouldn't have faulted him for it. And I would have mm-hmm. happily sent them Ziggy. But ultimately, it was decided that the dog that Tony could be with the right amount of work and effort to put into him was exactly the dog they needed. And that was a lot of what we gained as insight with him while working with him on a constant basis was that we learned really what the dog was he could be. And And there were shining moments of like, oh, is this who you can really be? Mm Mm-hmm. And he has a, a tough mindset. And to be able to set them up with those expectations of, I think this is going to be the perfect dog for you. However. <laughs> However, these are the things you need to know about him. Like, you're going to have to implement some stuff from the get-go. And that is the beauty of the way that we run this rescue. Yeah, we like to set the expectations as realistically as possible. Because the really the only... The only result of lying or not disclosing this information just results in this adoption not going well. And and he was transporting across the country to the East Coast, which is not, it's not a foreign concept to us, but he, I mean, hands down, if there was going to be a dog that comes back, like I would bet my money on if Steven was going to tell me, hey, we've got a dog coming back that's going to be a return adoption, I'm like, oh, it's Tony. Right. And yet hasn't happened. And he's super happy. They are just thrilled to have him. Like he's meshing really well. They are implementing everything that we told them. Like, hey, these are gonna be struggle points. And that's been that's been really nice. <laughs> it's been nice to know that he's finally with people that he needs and that he deserves and he got out of a rescue environment. We loved him. Yeah, we had struggles with him, but we loved him and we did everything that we could for him. But if you talk about caring capacity, Tony was like six dogs worth of oh, caring easily. capacity. Yeah, he definitely filled that caring capacity to the max. Um, speaking of hard behavior dogs and some of the hard cases we've ran across, we also have some additional tools that we actually keep in our back pocket, essentially, whenever we're working with dogs. And this is known as helper dogs. This is really a principle that uh, was brought about by the Dogs Play for Life Foundation, um, DPFL. And they work on the principle of keeping shelter and rescue dogs enriched and keeping their, giving them the time to play and be out. But a big thing that they talk about when it comes to under-socialized dogs is these helper dogs. These are dogs that, as Janelle mentioned, are bomb-proof. These are dogs that... Anything can happen around them. A dog can snap at them and they'll just walk away and just be like, okay, no big deal. Um, But what they're so good for is that they approach these dogs that are under socialized or struggling to open up and they show them 
what's okay, what's safe, and help them open up. I know in our first episode, we talked a little bit about Joey Mm -hmm. and Freya, the name that you'll probably hear coming up more often than not. Um, Freya was one of our best helper dogs that we've really ever had in our rescue. I'd say Lenny is a close second, though. Yeah, Freya and Lenny, definitely. Because Lenny just was just like, oh, you're going to yell at me? Okay, I'm going to go pee. (laughs) (laughs) But Freya... Man, for talking about overcoming difficulties in oh my such a short life, she came to us maybe at a maximum of 18 months old. Um, that's a year and a half for those of you that are like me and can't do math. Um, but she was found that on a highway, and she basically had given up walking. Like She just laid down and was like, I'm done. Like This is it for me. And this person who we love dearly, she picked her up, and she got in contact with us, and... Uh, think she was number six into rescue freya was um i think you're right and it was one of those moments of like we really don't have a spot for her because we were still very new and we were like i don't think we have the funds to take on another dog and then this person said well i'm gonna take her to the vet i'm gonna get her vaccines and i'll get her heartworm tested um she even did one better than that she got her a six month supply of heartworm flea and tick prevention which is vital down here Um, and expensive very expensive and she said if if i do this will you guys take her and i was like well i can't say no to that like Mm -hmm. she's already basically done all the legwork for the the basic medical and this dog just needs a safe place to sleep like and stay and find a home little did we know that that home would not be found for six months but um (laughs) man her personality like she just we could throw her out with anybody and she would just get along with everyone and everything every single dog we introduced her to every even feline you know cats introduced her to cats i mean she was kind of offended at the presence of a cat i think just by mere principle at first and she would yell at them but then once (laughs) we told her like no we don't need to we don't need to scream the cat into submission yep then she figured it out and she actually integrated into our main pack and even to the extent where she was sleeping in our bed and basically living with us as one of our dogs. And yeah. Well, our Barrett, my Malinois puppy, basically grew up with her as his bestie. And yep. she, man, she would let him just tug all over her ears. And she was truly that like bomb proof dog. And so she, we put her out with everybody. It was, she matched everybody's needs. Like she was one of Tony's playmates. Yep. And she actually taught him a few things about like proper human interaction and like, don't jump up on people, even though he really was working on that one by the end. But like, let's not muzzle punch people in the face when you come up and you want to get pet, you're calm and ideally you would sit down. Exactly. So um, one of Freya's biggest cases was Joey. Um, We talked about him prior that this christmas puppy that was eight months old that i mean you couldn't even take a step towards joey without him you weren't able to get him out of the car transporting from houston to here they actually took the crate out of the cars to transfer from car to car and he made a three-leg trip yeah so he was utterly terrified under socialized scared of all humans all things 
Full of hookworms. Full of hookworms, indeed. Which, Texas. But uh, literally put them out in the yard. And this was, I want to say, the second time we put them out in the yard. Because the first time it took almost an hour, I think, to get them back inside. Because, mm-hmm. And basically what we had to do was leave the door open and like kind of walk to the opposite side of the yard to where he basically had one option to get away from us and that was to run back through the back door yeah it's it was really complicated and was, i just felt so bad for it was him. extremely traumatic for all of us involved yeah um but the second time we put him out we put him out with freya and initially she approached him and he kind of shied off and so she just went and did kind of her own thing and then kind of came back to him and checked in with him and checked in with him and then started play bowing a little bit and got him to start to play a bit and then would kind of lead him over our direction. And, and all of a sudden this terrified creature actually turned into an eight to 10 month old puppy. Yeah. All of her behavior just opened right up or all of his behavior just opened right up he is extremely personable extremely friendly um would come right up to us and let us pet him and just an incredibly sweet dog and that's really one of the biggest things in my opinion when it comes to something like the human animal bond is that there's also an animal animal bond Mm mm-hmm these these dogs really do rely on each other for understanding of the world around them. I and mean, companionship it's, too. Yeah, and it's not just in their early development. We have our play groups here that kind of all get to know each other really well. And um, Lenny was a close second to a really good helper dog that we had, but he was also had this very mature way of correcting dogs that got out of line. Um, and people kind of panic when there's a a potential fight going to break out. But I always trusted Lenny. Like there was a time that he flipped a dog on her back and he just yelled in her face for a quick second, just like, no. And then that was the end of it. And to be able to sit back and watch these dogs help each other through the traumas that they've been in. It's very, very rewarding. Yeah, it's enriching and rewarding for everyone involved because seeing these dogs get to open up out of their shell is really one of the one of those pros, one of those uplifting moments that we get to experience in rescue and it's something you don't get really anywhere else. So, with all those special moments talked about in our rescue, we are out of time. So if you would like to learn more about fear-free practices, you can go to fearfreepets.com and check out their page. Uh, You can also learn a little bit more about it on our website, redstonehuskyrescue.org. There's also fear-free happy homes, which is more geared towards those not in the industry of veterinary medicine and animal welfare. Um, but it's more articles and tools for an owner. So if you have a dog struggling with anxiety or behavior, then they have some really good resources as well. And if you'd like to learn more about Dogs Play for Life, dpfl.org, as well as you can learn a little bit more about them through different shelters that they've worked with, you can check it out on their website. 
But please drop us a follow. Uh, we will have new episodes coming out as time permits and as rescue permits more rescue specifically. Chaos. <laughs> but uh, as it is, this is the end of our episode. So it was a pleasure being able to talk with you and explain to you about our rescue and what we do.